Don't Split Up Horror Podcast. We are back after a long hiatus, but we have some great new horror film review coming at you. This is episode number 51. Today we're discussing Knock at the Cabin, and I'm J.R. Foresteros. I'm Amanda Foresteros. I'm Moza Haiti. And I'm Mackenzie Gill. Whoa, Whoa Mackenzie, welcome Whoa. to the show. Thank you, thank you. It's pretty common in the fourth installment in a franchise for us to recast a little bit, right? And so you're our latest co-host. So glad to have you. And Mo, welcome back. Good to be back, JR. Many listeners might remember Mo left the show to seek out fame and fortune. And uh, always happy to have you crash and burn back here at the pad. Yeah, thanks. It's good to be back at the parents' house. You know, the real world is tough. And uh, just looking for a little security. And he brought his girlfriend, so... (laughs) Uh, so I know for a lot of listeners, it's been a long time since they've heard from any of us about horror. So I thought it'd be fun to go on a little bit of a review and talk about what our favorite horror movie of all time is, and maybe a little bit of your relationship with horror. Uh, so Mackenzie, since you are the newest co-host, would you uh, honor us by going first? Tell us a little bit about your favorite horror movie. Absolutely. So favorite horror movie of all time might be tough. I'm not much of a classics person. So (laughs) really anything recent that's grabbed my attention. Um, Smile in the past year, I think, really did it for me. Uh, I know Amanda feels passionately the opposite way. (laughs) Don't worry, we'll do an episode on it soon. But I thought it was creepy. I thought that there was a good underlying message, which may have been interpreted differently. Uh, It really did it for me. I not a ton of movies not a ton of scary movies make me feel truly creeped out and there's nothing more creepy apparently than that smile for me smile worked for me too not my favorite but i thought it was good well what about you mo what uh all-time favorite favorite in last year what do you got uh all-time favorite i think will always be the shining uh, Jack Nicholson terrifies me, even in his comedies. I think I said that exact same line previously, probably in like episode one. Um, but recently, Nope stands out. Uh, it checked all the boxes for me. And I got to watch it with some great company in a fantastic theater. So that helped as well. But um, I'd say Nope for the last year and certainly The Shining for all time. Yeah, I would say that those are pretty solid choices, Mo. I would say for me, um, probably favorite horror movie of all time has to be Jaws. I know a lot of people don't actually consider it to be a horror movie, but uh, for me, it is deeply horrifying. Um, However, I am also deeply, deeply fascinated by sharks. I have uh, at least two shark tattoos, many more coming, I'm sure, Uh, and have grown in my both fascination and fear of of sharks over the years. Uh, I have a complicated history with horror because I have nightmares about everything. I've had recurring nightmares since I was a child uh, about wolves coming and attacking and killing my family. 
Uh, I have recurring nightmares of all sorts of creepy, spooky things. The Babadook regularly visits me, um, in fact. Uh, it's, it's, it's rough. It's rough out here, but I also enjoy it. I don't know. I guess I just enjoy pain anyway. Um, so as far as my favorite movie in the last year, I'm going to have to go with prey. I'm a very nostalgic person, hence the whole jaws thing. Um, and I have loved predator and aliens and all of that kind of stuff for many many years and so prey was so solid it did it checked all of the boxes for me kind of like what you were saying mo and i felt like it was like super feminist i loved getting to see kind of a retelling of the comanche people and um yeah like the lime green just really paid off super well it was like spooky a little bit but like more actiony i don't know i just really dug it Prey was probably my runner-up i thought that movie was fantastic the original predator is one of my all-time favorites i thought it stayed true to the original unlike some of the crap we've seen since then um no i, I think that's a, a very good choice uh yeah for me i uh, I've always loved horror. I mean, I had all of the Goosebump books as a kid. My poor mom lost sleep wondering if I was a burgeoning serial killer because of my fascination with vampires and werewolves and all that kind of stuff. Monster Squad was my favorite like movie as a kid, even though it's very patently uh, Goonies ripoff. If you if you watch it today, it's very clear what was going on there. Um, but yeah, I've I've loved it forever. So that said, my favorite horror film of all time kind of vacillates between The Ring which is the movie that definitely scared me the most the first time I saw it. And The Thing, the 1982 Kurt Russell, you know, directed by John Carpenter. Um, you know, both of those are horror classics. They don't need any defense from me, but I just think they're both terrific. So I told uh, Mackenzie you choose Poltergeist. He did. Oh, Ooh. interesting. Now that's more Amanda's favorite than mine. They're here. <laughs> that's just because I got compared to the Poltergeist girl when I was a kid. Yes, it's true. Um... My favorite in the last year, easily Barbarian. It was my number two movie of the year overall, only falling behind everything everywhere all at once. Uh, I just thought it was creative. It was fresh. It was really unexpected. I was alternately laughing and gasping. Uh, it was a tremendously fun film to watch in a crowded theater. Uh, just, yeah, just a great, great, great movie. So, uh, so let's, for us as well. Yeah, I mean, it's it's hard not to like that one. Um, so let's let's start talking about Knock at the Cabin. This is the latest M. Night Shyamalan movie. And ooh, you want, uh, I feel like mentioning M. Night Shyamalan is like tossing a grenade into a crowd of movie critics, right? Yeah, like if you want, yeah, if you want people to fight, like ask, ask what you think about Shyamalan. So uh, I'm curious, Mac, what is your, what is your history with him? Do you care about his stuff? Do you like him? Do you hate him? The apathetic? I, I don't. I mean, you just said, I don't know that I feel super strongly either way. I think he gets a bad rap. Um, he's got a thing going that I, I mean, he's obviously notorious for the, uh, the twist endings. I think, I think it's done him good. He's famous for it. So whether or not you like his, his stuff, he's made a name for himself. So I think he's done a good job. I walking out of any of his movies, regardless of if you think it was a trash film or not, they usually make you think and you have an opinion on them. So he's, he's done that. Yeah. He's garbage. 
uh, <laughs> I can't stand him. All of his film is crap. He's got like two good movies. They happened 20 years ago, and he's been trying to ride that wave ever since. But you so you haven't like any of his more recent out. stuff. So I think the single best thing I had going for me in this film was I was told ahead of time that there wasn't a twist because I feel like I spend the whole movie trying to figure out the dumb twist. And half the time, it's not even a twist. It's just like, oh, there was some weird shit going on and it may or may not have alluded to that, but you never would have got it because it's dumb. Whereas this one, I feel like I finally got to focus on the movie and that was fun. Yeah, that's so interesting. I mean, I... I, I kind of agree with you too, Mac, where like, I don't necessarily love him or hate him, but there have certainly been some of his films that I've really enjoyed. And like you said, they definitely get the the conversation going. Um, I would say I was really late to the party for uh, like, I had not seen Unbreakable until the like Unbreakable trilogy got um kind of finally announced or whatever that it was glass and your glass was the final one what was the middle split. one split sorry okay so split was super solid because i freaked out in the theater and you had no idea yeah I, I i had no clue what was happening but i was excited you were excited and also also uh, i mean i think that um just the idea of the split personalities the beast was super duper creepy i mean obviously being a female and getting kidnapped by like a serial killer terrorist whatever is um i mean alluding back to like barbarian and various other themes of of lots of different um films in the horror genre is definitely uh has been instilled in me since i was a very wee wee girl so um yeah i i'm like several of his films are trash uh lady in the water ruined me i was so angry i was so confused by what was happening um i like bryce dallas howard just fine but i was just so yeah it was a very bizarre fantastical film that i was just not into and i never saw the happening because i heard nothing really happened and it was you know not very good and beyond that i mean i was okay with the village i didn't hate it uh signs was pretty sweet but but that's really that's really all i i think a lot of his newer movies to visit was great was very well okay received. i stand corrected the visit was sweet was the oh my the gosh the it was so painful yes. yeah. um i enjoyed good. split quite a lot um glass was not what i wanted it to be but he made the movie he wanted and it was a well-made film uh and then we have this movie which i think my problems with this film are largely um the choices he made in adapting it uh which we'll talk about in spoilers but it's a it's a well it's a solid movie and and i think i would you know i would say it was it was decent um it's not gonna make my top 10 list for the year by any stretch but it was nice to see you know dave batista flex a little bit of dramatic muscle um given that it was such a small film you know it all happened in one spot uh almost entirely it was you know with a with a cast of seven almost exclusively uh and you know it it was the film that finally unseated avatar 2 at the box office it, it opened opened at 14.2 million i think now it's up to 26 million so i don't know if it's gonna i don't know if it's gonna end up being profitable or not but i think it was it was solid um you know amanda what did what did you would you recommend this movie no i say don't waste your time interesting any spoiler free unpacking you can do of that 
I mean, here's the deal. I kept the bar very, very, very low going into it. And I was just kind of like, meh. I mean, I think it is would be fine to watch once it comes to streaming, but I definitely wouldn't pay like a full movie price ticket to see it. Mo, you said that this movie, you were not looking for a twist. Um, did you end up enjoying it? Yeah, actually, I thought it was a fresh change. I think he just did a movie and that was nice. Um, I also went into it with very low expectations as I do every M. Night movie. I like this one a lot. I wouldn't, I agree with you. I don't think it's going to make a top 10 list or anything. I thought it was something new. It gave me cabin in the wood vibes. I thought that was fun. Um, and again, for a small cast in a single setting, I was entertained and the entire, through the entire thing. I never got bored. Mm. Would I see it again? Probably not. Uh, would I recommend waiting for it to come to streaming services? Probably. I agree with you, Amanda. Probably not worth the movie ticket. I definitely don't think it's a see it twice movie. It, as far as horror goes, I was never scared. But I don't know that that, you know, keeps it from being a horror film. It, it, it offered something different there, I guess. JR? That was going to be my follow-up question. Was, was this film scary? I mean, there were definitely aspects of it that were gruesome, like the, I mean, again, I know we're not fully into spoilers, but I feel like if you even saw part of a trailer, um, it feels like a home invasion kind of film or whatever. Uh, so, I mean, those aspects, the like not knowing, not understanding, kind of questioning things like that, like existential dread is pretty terrifying and not knowing if... Uh, you know, a potential apocalypse is happening is pretty terrifying uh, for some people. Uh, it definitely keeps certain people awake at night, I'm I'm sure. But I don't know. I This was one that did not give me nightmares, believe it or not. So, Mackenzie, you said uh, you kind of indicated it wasn't very scary for you. Stand by that. I Yeah. I mean, there were some like tense moments. And I, I mean, I think they could have without spoilers i think it could have been more of a horror movie but i don't think they really crossed that line for me no i what you just said that really encapsulates it for me there were so many places and there are places that were specifically changed from the book mm -hmm. that it was adapting cabin at the end of the world by paul tremblay uh that really actually pulled it back from being horror uh and being as horrific as it could be i think for me the most fear comes in the first third of the film when these four strangers are breaking into this you know remote cabin where this family of three is vacationing and they are acting violently and threateningly while they are saying we are here to be friends we don't want to hurt any of you we just want to talk and that that disjuncture uh to your point amanda where you just you just don't understand Right. And so there's this lack of there's this lack of comprehension and and, and comprehension of their motive uh, that that I think is really scary. And then the more the more, you know, the less scary it got for me. Sure. Yeah, it felt like the the veil was pulled back and we just saw this like little white dude behind the curtain that was like not that exciting. Um, yeah, I will say Ron Weasley did a great Boston accent. I was very impressed. I didn't even recognize who he was. And I thought he did a great job. That's Rupert Grinch, right? Yeah, oh, yeah. Sorry. <laughs> well, listen, 
Oh no, he's gonna be Ron. He Weasley. is Ron Weasley forever, but <laughs> forever I I'm just saying I, I bought his character. I wasn't like, oh, that's Ron Weasley. Afterwards, I was like, whoa. I guess Hermione probably dumped him or something, right? I mean definitely. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I would be in deep despair if like one of the smartest people in the world uh dumped him for that. sure. He channeled that well. <laughs> All right. Well, uh any other comments, general comments on the film before we move into spoilers? No, let's spoil it. All right, so here we go. Spoilers ahead for Knock at the Cabin. Spoilies. Don't split okay, so let's talk about some of the big changes from the book uh, that, to your point earlier, Mackenzie, really ended up pulling, uh, pulling the terror away for a lot of us. So uh, one of the big reveals early in both the book and the film is that Andrew brought a gun to the cabin. It is a gun that he had purchased for protection after he was assaulted, and it is in the SUV that they drove up there. So he does not have any access to it, um, but there is a point in the film and in the book where he gets free, runs out, is able to get the gun, and then uh, in the film it's used to kill one of the four that invade in the book while they are wrestling for the gun it goes off and it kills when the their uh, eric and andrew's adopted daughter um now again i was actually not too surprised to see this change because i didn't think that m night Shyamalan trying to make a big box office hit was going to have a dead kid in it um that's typically not a recipe you know for uh feel good movie going but that's kind of the point right like that was a genuinely horrific thing that happened in the book uh and i, I don't know i'm curious what y'all think about that particular change well the fascinating thing that i have found which i did not read the book i just got the cliff's notes notes version from y'all is that that is like deeply disturbing and also at least according to y'all it doesn't actually count as the sacrifice because it was an accident correct so she ends up just dying because of gun violence i assume that mr tremblay has some you know opinions about that or i don't know um or just wanted to make it even darker and more depressing than it already could have been um but yeah brutal and like I'm faced with an insane decision. Now you've lost your daughter and you're still being told you need to sacrifice one or the other in order to save the world. And it's like, that wasn't enough to them. They've already lost. Um, I mean, it changes everything. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and sorry, go ahead, Mac. No, I mean, I just, like you said, I'm not sure exactly what M Knight's uh, motivation was behind that to change it. Because I agree, I think that that does bring a different level of horror to the film. So it's it's very interesting to me that he chose to go the path that he did. Well, to what Mo, to what you were Im intimating here just a moment ago, I think it also then informs the way he changed the ending, mm -hmm. uh, which is arguably the biggest change. Because in the film, of course, uh, Eric comes to a place of peace. And says that he can die knowing that he has given his life to save the world. And he basically makes Andrew kill him as the sacrifice. And then this, this successfully averts the apocalypse. Uh, Andrew and Wen drive away. And they find that uh, the, the planes have stopped falling out of the sky. And the tsunamis, uh, you know, the relief is already pouring in. 
and the plague has has uh, regressed and, and all of this. Uh, the lightning strikes all stop magically. And so it's clear that there was some kind of apocalypse and, and Andrew choosing to kill Eric has, has stopped it. In the book, we're actually never sure whether there's actually an apocalypse or not. We, we are not given any outside information. Uh, and, and the book ends with Andrew and Eric deciding more or less what you just said, Mo, we've already lost enough. And if this is the way, if this is the kind of world we live in that, that is going to require this sort of cruel choice, then maybe it's better that this world ends. Um, so, you know, as you were just saying, Mac, that's a, that's a significantly more horrific idea, right? That the, the fabric of the universe might be one that requires the blood of innocence to function. And Shyamalan seems to have no interest in telling that story. No, he did everything different for a change. There was no ambiguity. There was an answer. He drove to a certain point. Maybe that's why he struggled with this. It's it's outside his wheelhouse. I don't know, because you guys are very much set on the idea that the uh, killing at the end was a deliberate thing that happened and the world was saved, but we never actually saw how the gunshot happened. It was out of scene. Uh, it wasn't agreed upon action. And then, I mean, all we ever heard was the news or the news station saying that the planes had stopped falling out of the sky. But like, I do feel like it was heavily implied that Andrew pulled that trigger based on Eric's kind of monologue and his, you know. But why not show it? I don't think it was necessary. Well, and I, and actually, they didn't show any of the deaths. Yeah, they, that was... they cut away every single time. I thought that we saw Dave Batista slit his throat. Well, oh, that was the one that, that we was saw. the only one. I feel like we, it was different than the book, regardless, because the movie was always like one particular, you know, person doing the chop, or they all had something. But I feel like in the book, it was very gruesome when they would kill someone. I mean, exactly. And that's attacks. very much what I was saying. Like the book honestly to me was more grotesque reading about the killings than the movie was and like visually portraying people dying so that was absolutely that was a big loss like as far as horror movie goes uh a, a way that it could have been much scarier and they just chose or m night chose not to for whatever reason just kind of like the feel good, like we have a solid feel good as feel as good as you could possibly feel at the end of an apocalypse movie. Yeah. Like we're walking off into the sunset together and everything's going to be okay. You know, dad and me just living our lives without other dad. My, 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 my boogie shoes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, I mean, I guess the question though is, was that intentional? Did he hide that violence? Because at every possible moment, Batista indicates that they are there in peace, that they're just there to help them with a decision that needs to be made, that they're not there to hurt them, even though they're going to have to choose something difficult. Um, but that, I mean, he, that's the reoccurring verbiage. I mean, he never stops telling them that he's not there to hurt them. And so are, is that to reinforce the fact that they didn't really come to do violence to this family so much as they did to make a mutual decision to save the world? It could be. It's just hard for me. Again, ha like it'd be so interesting if none of us had read the book, right? Yeah. Um, but it's hard having read the book and knowing 
how many significant changes he made that lessen the horror and shy away from the violence. It's hard not to see that as just that he wanted to make a different story that that did have weirdly a more feel-good ending. And I would have never described this movie as a feel-good movie unless I had read the book and known how specifically he changed it. Well, and I think about too, like JR, you had described to me that in the book, Eric is like severely severely like worse concussed than he is in the in the well I guess it's it's difficult to portray that on film but even just like not being able to make sense like almost to the point where he's not only like his vision is clouded he's got clouded judgment but also like he's not even able to answer like basic questions and even has like a second head injury or something at some point during like a scuffle I think I think you had said something about that and so I find that really fascinating too based off of the movie where he's like concussed to the point that this registered nurse is like oh he needs to be in a dark room for like several hours and like rest and they're like ah just put a bandage on him he'll be fine and then he like has to make the decision to you know end his life and and whatnot and has this like beautiful like future montage sequence about oh dad other dad and and daughter having their law practice together and it's such a beautiful beautiful thing it just solidified for me as i've said before that I would have to be the the Jonathan Groff in this situation where JR would have to kill me if we were if we were in a similar situation. <laughs> I, I just think pure murder. A, I didn't think they did a bad job of playing the concussion. I do think it seemed like he kind of miraculously healed by, you know, second act. <laughs> like it was heavily concussed. You should be in a dark room. Andrew's saying you can't make any decisions. I don't know if I can trust you to I'm gonna listen to everything you say. But did they leave that in there because it seems to transition where, you know, he sees the light, he feels like he saw something in that light, you know, was that him really talking out to Andrew that, that, you know, this is what I see, or is he now having a vision just like Batista and Ron exactly. and the rest had, and it's like, this is his piece and knowing that, yes, this is what's happening. And this is, you know, I can, I can see your future. This is the way it's meant to be. Yeah, exactly. Like the the idea of being concussed and being quote unquote sensitive to the light or light is obviously kind of uh, on the nose for the whole nature of the film. Right, because that takes us Mo, to a, a topic you wanted to bring up, which is the tension in this movie between the people who believe and the people who are skeptics, right? Yeah. I mean, this is kind of you much like religion in an essence, you take it on a blind faith. I mean, we have these books, we have, you know, history, but, you know, there is the vast majority that says there is no proof. So you're making these decisions based on a belief or, you know, a trust, so to speak, which Andrew does not have um, at any point in time. I mean, his entire character is built around the traumas of his life. His parents, you know, don't support his lifestyle. Um, you know, he was attacked. It's the reason he started boxing. It's the reason he bought a gun. Everything for him is revolves around a lack of trust. Whereas Eric is much the opposite. He's the peacemaker. He's the bring everyone together. You know, he goes to church and there's a bit of that dynamic, I feel like. And that, I think that represents people. And, and again, this is where, honestly, I hate to keep bagging on this movie, but I think it's where the movie does a disservice that the book doesn't, where the book is much more ambiguous. 
what was there a point in the film where any of you decided yes there definitely is an apocalypse happening this is not just for crazy people uh i mean up until the end i thought it was a toss-up for me especially when they brought in the fact that redmond was the guy from his past and i was like wow there i mean this could be m night Shyamalan's crazy twist this is some like organized hate crime uh i mean maybe probably when uh leonard died is really when for me it was like yeah this is happening i kind of i think for me the the oh sorry go ahead go ahead well, I was just going to say when the planes are like weirdly falling out of the sky, I was like, okay, listen, we've had the Southwest situation and all of these other like major, major, you know, I don't know if it's, if it's domestic terrorism or what's going on with like the systems of the flights and stuff. I mean, thankfully these are just all canceled flights, not actual flights that are, you know, crashing and burning from, from out of the sky. But that, that to me made me feel like, okay, there's gotta be something more going on here. Um, but yeah, I was definitely a skeptic for the most part. I don't know. Batista did a good job. I liked him in this role. Um, big fan anyway. I think he's growing as an actor, but I bought what they were selling from the beginning. They're the only violence was accidental. Uh, well, accidental is probably the wrong word, but they were not intending to harm Eric when that scuffle and when they got into the house. They stayed true to everything they were saying the entire time. Now, was it always in the back of my head that, hey, maybe these are just some sick people who want to put people in a position where they hurt someone they love and it's all a farce? Yeah, but I think I was probably more like 90, 10, you know, 90 that it was really the apocalypse. And these were the four horsemen and these folks did have a decision to make. I think I've also just, because I'm a social worker that works with psychiatric patients, uh, I've interviewed a number of patients that are like, it's the apocalypse. This is my extreme intense delusion. That's incredibly detailed. And like when Andrew is saying different things like that, like, no, this is a shared delusion or they're a cult or whatever. I was like, I mean, part of me when I'm listening to my patients, I'm like, are you real? Like, is this actually real? And should I believe you? Or is this truly your brain just convincing you that this is reality because of an imbalance of your, you know, chemicals and and all of that kind of stuff in your brain? I don't know. Have you just uncovered, have you uncovered the deep truth about the universe or are you psychotic? I'm not sure. Ending we were all waiting for, right? Is oh, nobody knew, but there's a mental institution four miles from this, and these four people broke out and made tools out of the garden shed, and now they're here to kill this family. Right. (laughs) Right. Which would be more like Strangers or something, like the movie Strangers, than it it is an M. Night Shyamalan film, where there's no explanation. It's just these, you know, psychotic people that have chosen to kill this family, you know, and made this family. Strangers is horrifying. Yeah. One of the all-time greats. Yeah. Well, I guess the last question we got to ask then is, uh, would you kill me to save the world? Absolutely not. I would <laughs> die from guilt. That's why you would have to kill me. Would you kill me for the sake of the world? Or would we go out Cabin in the Woods style and just be like, let it all burn? Cabin in the Woods style, for sure. <laughs> I, I am not interested in a world that requires the blood of innocence to persist. 
Yeah, Mac mm -hmm. died of anxiety in the first 15 minutes, so <laughs> we were screwed. I didn't have an option to even Because it doesn't much. count, right? Yeah. yeah, it doesn't count. Mo was so... convinced that we would kill each other out of some type of miscommunication or inability to communicate. <laughs> Of because Either of way. the stress but yeah i would i would definitely have died from cardiac arrest sounds like the four of us are not saving the world is what i'm taking <laughs> away from this that's right nobody's, nobody's you hear that leonard don't come a knocking <laughs> that's right uh well uh this has been our first episode back not the greatest film to return on but we have a lot more in the queue uh next episode we're going to be reviewing megan me threegan m threegan megan and then I think after that is Cocaine Bear, if I'm not mistaken. Exciting right. stuff. So, uh, Mac, it's good to have you on board. Welcome to the show. Thank you. And for all of our listeners, long time and uh, new, so glad to have you. Make sure you connect with us on the socials. We're at facebook.com slash don't split up. And uh, you can, of course, reach out to us on Twitter with the hashtag don't split up. Until next time, take care of yourselves out there. And remember, whatever you do, don't split up. <laughs> Thank you.